0: Welcome to the audio podcast of the Father's House. We hope and pray you are both challenged and encouraged by this time in the Word. Before we get to the Word, we have Pastor uh, Dave uh, coming at us today, so we are excited to catch him. Uh, we are continuing the series After God's Heart. So come on, let's give the Lord some praise today as we welcome Pastor Dave. So, um, today I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about prioritizing the presence of God. And I want to give you two big ideas of why the presence of God must be a priority in your life. You know, uh, we'll catch up to the story of David, and he finally becomes king after 15 years. And you guys remember this it was 15 years between the anointing uh, from the prophet Samuel until David took the throne. And, 15 years of struggle, and why God, and running for his life, and running from the armies of Israel under the leadership of the wicked King Saul, but, you know, God is faithful, isn't he? And what God says will come to pass. Not one of his words will fall to the ground. Never forget Philippians 1, 6. It says, he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen or Habakkuk 2, three that says, though the vision tarries, wait for it, for it will surely come to pass. It will not delay. In other words, God's gonna do in your life what he said he's gonna do. He's gonna fulfill his promises in your life, in my life, and in his church. So David becomes king, and not long after he becomes king, in fact, scholars and historians say it would have been within the first couple years of his reign, he makes a, a declaration. He says, hey, we got to go after the ark of God. And in the first chronicles account of this story, David says because we did not inquire of the ark during the reign of Saul. Now, there's some debate and historical, you know, differences of opinion as to f- how long uh, a period of time the ark was missing from the tabernacle of Moses. But we know this, that King Saul reigned in Israel for 42 years. So at a minimum, The ark was missing. Now, when I say the ark, I'll give you some description for the new kids in just a minute. But the ark was the essence of God. His presence, his power, his voice spoke between the wings of the cherubim and his name was upon the ark. So 42 years, but think about the ramifications. And it was probably at least a decade longer than that. So roughly, we can safely say 50 years. But they're still going up to Mount Zion. They're still going to the Temple Mount in Israel to worship in a temple, the tabernacle of Moses, but there's nobody home. There's an empty, of holy, empty holy of holies. And so the priests are burn their incense and the worshipers are gathering and they're going through all the form and the ritual. And the high priest would even go behind that veil once a year, but the ark wasn't there. Think about that. I think it's a picture of church that's done without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And just because a building has a name over the door, whether it's father's house or a denomination or a cult group, to call yourself a church or a house of worship means absolutely nothing if there's no one in the holy of holies, if there's no presence behind the veil. But they worshiped for 40-some years. So David said, hey, not on my watch. We're going after the ark of God. So I want to pick up the story here in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. Get a visual of that. 30,000 strong elite warriors. And he led them back to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Here's a detail, not a detail, but an idea I don't want you to miss, who is enthroned between the cherubim, God is enthroned. This is his dwelling place. He sits down in this particular location. And just to refresh your memory, in case you, it's been a minute since you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, I'd like to bring up a picture of the Ark of the Covenant right here and uh, take a look at that. The Ark is not just a box of goodies that God had Moses make as a piece of furniture in the tabernacle, but he actually met with his people here And his presence between those two cherubim was called the mercy seat and the blood of a spotless lamb, which is a foreshadowing and a prophetic picture of the cross. And God said, I'm going to meet with you here. Now now get this, it's always been God's plan, God's desire to meet with his people. If you're here today and you're distant from God, I have good news for you. He wants to meet you. He wants to meet with you. And when we gather as as his church, uh, he's in the midst of us both Old Testament and then during the life of Jesus and New Testament and post-New Testament, we'll see that his desire has not changed. Exodus 29, God says, then I will live among the people. Would you read the bold with me, all locations? I will live among the people of Israel and be their God and they will know that I'm the Lord, their God. I'm the one who brought them up out of the land of Egypt so that I could live among them. I am the Lord, their God. Ezekiel 37, 27, he says, my dwelling place will be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. In fact, God gave clear instructions to Moses that when you're traveling through the wilderness and you establish the camp of Israel, make sure that the tabernacle is right in the center and that all the tribes camp around it. So look at this picture here, this graphic to give you an idea A fire at night and a cloud by day in the Ark of the Covenant in the center of the tabernacle. And God said, I'm gonna camp out right in the center in the midst of my people. His glory was revealed. This was the Ark of the Covenant. And it's a type of Jesus in the New Testament. But God said, hey, I want to live with you. I want to sit down. I want to dwell. That's what this word means, to make up a residence. And I want to inform you today that God wants more out of his church and out of my life and yours than visitation rites and, you know, an hour and 15 minutes on weekends and holidays. Is anybody with me? He wants to set up a camp and be Emmanuel in the center, Jesus at the center of it all. move forward now to the New Testament, John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This Greek word dwell means to reside, it means to set up a permanent residence. Jesus comes to the planet and he walks among us and he lives among us, he dwells. It's his residence, it's his home. And after that 33 years, John 14, 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate, parakletos, one who's going to walk alongside you, a partner, a comforter. He will never leave you or forsake you. The Holy Spirit now is going to set up his tent and his dwelling among the church, who will never leave you. I got news today. He's still in the middle of the camp. The Holy Spirit is here today. He's in all locations. He's dwelling among us and then if we move into eternity future, we see that it doesn't change. In Revelation chapter 21, it says, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God or God's home is with men. He will what? Dwell with them. They shall be his people and he himself will be with them and be their God. And I want to read verse four just because it's so encouraging. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death sorrow nor crying. There'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Now the reason I want you to prioritize the presence of God, it's not a, a charismatic, you know, kind of we got the market on goosebumps and a certain style of worship. It's not an emotional atmosphere that's created so you feel like you met with God. The presence of God changes everything. The manifest power of God in His church, and there's a reason why, as a church, we prioritize His presence. And if you track uh, the ark, the travels of the ark throughout the Old Testament, it went a lot of places over a lot of years, and there's many stories connected with this gold box and the essence of who God is moving through the land. But just a few examples in Joshua chapter three. The people are getting ready to cross over the Jordan to walk into their inheritance, but there's a problem. The Jordan River's at flood stage. So it's an impassable, uh, it's an impossible situation, an unpassable, however you would say that river. And what does God tell them to do? He says, tell the priests to take the Ark of the Covenant and put it upon their shoulders. And when the, the priest stepped into the flooded Jordan River, a miracle happened. The water stopped upstream and The water began to recede and dry ground appeared and they walked across, which simply means this, that God makes a miraculous way when there seems to be no way when we carry his presence. Amen? Fast forward Joshua chapter six, and we find them taking the first city of their inheritance. And you know the story, they walk around Jericho once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, they walk around seven days, and they shout, and the walls fall down. But a detail you shouldn't miss is this, before they walked around the city, what happened? Once again, he told the priest, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant. So get this visual as you think about the story of Jericho. It's the very presence of God marching around the city for six days, and the presence of God actually does break down walls and it, it gives us new territory in our lives. And then 1 Samuel 5, we see that the presence of God, when it's in the presence of our enemy, it brings confusion and destruction. Now, we won't get deep into this story, but the Philistines actually stole the Ark of the Covenant. Because Saul was in rebellion and the nation was in idolatry and they neglected the sacred and the holy. So God allowed the Philistine army to take the box, the Ark of the Covenant. And So they don't know what to do with it. They throw it on a cart. They roll it up to their city. And they put it in their temple, in their temple of pagan worship. Their main god, his name was Dagon. And Dagon was this big, huge statue. uh, And uh, historians, and I, I believe it's in the word as well. He had the body of a fish, Okay and he had a man's head and man's hands, so this big fish man, and so you got fish man, and then you got the Ark of the Covenant, and they said, yeah, will just roll this god up next to our god, and they go to bed, and they come in the next morning, and you know what happened, right? Dagon had fallen over, and his head broke off, and his arms broke off, and just his torso was left, which I think is a little fishy. Okay, it, just, it was teed up too high, it's my bad. But I want you to know that the presence of God not only opens doors that no man can shut, not only gives you territory and goes before us and brings comfort and peace, but the presence of God confounds and destroys our enemy. We need to prioritize the presence of God, amen? So here's the story. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart. Now we go back to David going to get the the Ark of the Covenant, 2 Samuel 6. They brought it from Abinadab's house, which is on a hill, and Uzzah and Ahio is how you say it, but I'm just gonna call him Ohio, all right? So Uzzah and Ohio. Abinadab's sons were guiding the cart that carried the Ark of God, and Ohio walked in front of the Ark, and David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord. Think about it, 50 years, 50 years without the presence the Shekinah glory of God, the very voice of God, and they're excited. They're so pumped up, and David and all the people of Israel are celebrating and playing all kinds of musical instruments and lyres and harps and tambourines and what? Castanets. (laughs) How many know when you got castanets in the band? Oh, now it's a party. Yeah, come on. There's dancing. There's castanets and cymbals. And things go horribly wrong, verse 6. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nikon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out with his hand and steadied the ark of God. And the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah, but he named that place Perez-Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. Now, David was afraid of the Lord and he asked, how can I ever bring the Ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the Ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obedidim of Gath and the Ark of the Lord remained there in Obedidim's house for three months and the Lord blessed Obedidim and his entire household. Before we go ahead and talk about Uzzah and this crazy event that took place in the the hauling of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, can you imagine obed shock and awe. He lives at Kirith-Jerim, which is 20 miles from nowhere, okay? Obadiah lives out in the cuts in the middle of the desert. And all of a sudden, one day, he hears a crazy commotion outside. There are 30,000 soldiers and the king of Israel at his front door. Not only that, they brought God with them. God in a box, king of Israel, 30,000 warriors like, hey, Obedidim, the king of Israel would like you to keep God here at your house for a little while. Uh, How do you answer that? Sure. Let's make a place for him, kids. Okay. Uh, Living room, nicest room in the house. Yeah, let's bring him into the living room here. Kids, if you could just push the recliner back and push the TV over there and God, you can rest. The glory of God. Obadiah's got God in the living room for three months. And guess what happened? All that he had, all his possessions, were blessed. His grass was greener than all his neighbors. His kids grew taller. His health was impeccable. His marriage was on point. His corn was four feet taller than every other crop. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> right? Obadiah, man. Why? Because God was in the house. But back to Uzzah, he struck dead for steadying the ark, which seems like a reasonable thing to do. The oxen went the wrong way and the wheel hit a ditch or whatever happened. It looked like the ark of God with the holy ingredients on the inside was going to hit the ground. And so he reaches out to steady the ark and he dies. Have you ever um, read scripture and it seemed like God's responses might be a little bit unreasonable? You ever read the word? Like, that's over the top. I don't know if he deserved, God, what you did. For instance, Acts chapter 5, remember Ananias and Sapphira? They bring their offering, and they exaggerate about their giving, which maybe a couple people have done. And uh, they give this amount and tell the apostles, no, we gave this amount. And God says, not on my watch. Strikes them dead. How many glad God's not doing that about your offering? (laughs) Oh, you better say amen. You're like, really? And that's the New Testament? Or how about when Moses, after putting up with the children of Israel for 40 years, he finally gets to the promised land and God says, Moses, you're not going in because you got angry in front of my people and you struck the rock with the rod instead of speaking out to it. And he keeps Moses out of the inheritance. Why? Or or how about... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that refers to us. And Paul said, because you've uh, neglected to honor and reverence the table of the Lord, many of you are going to get sick and you are dying because you don't give reverence to communion. And you think, how can God act this way? Because this is not the kind of cultural Jesus and marketable God that we want to think about. We want God on our terms. We We develop a God that stays within our boundaries, even our cultural values that shift. We want God to shift with our cultural definitions and boundaries. We want a God that fits on our cart. Is anybody with me? God says, I'm not like that. I'm holy, holy, holy. I'm other than. Now, was God justified in striking Uzzah dead? 100%. We don't understand his wisdom, but God's justice is perfect. His decisions are accurate. Were were David's motivations evil? I don't think so. This gold box was really heavy. Can you imagine carrying that on your shoulders? It was a 40-mile journey. But what David failed to do is he failed to realize that there was something sacred and holy that he neglected to honor as sacred and holy. David's failure was this. He made the sacred common. And I think when the sacred becomes common in our lives, we end up putting the holy things on a man made religious cart. And if we're going to make the presence of God a priority in our lives, in your home, in your marriage, in our church, here's the number one thing I want you to consider today. We've got to recognize the sacred and handle it appropriately. Recognize the sacred. Give you a definition, the sacred is the holy. It's the set apart for God alone. It's what is worthy of awe and respect. And of course, as I mentioned, we live in a culture that fails to recognize and give honor to the things that God has said, this is holy. So let me just segue here. If you feel distant from God today as a Christ follower, if you feel like church really isn't working for me like it used to, or maybe you don't have the passion and fire that you did 25 years ago, 20 years ago, there's a possibility that you've made some sacred things common and you have put some of the holy things on a man-made cart that you're toting around. You got God strapped to the flatbed back there behind the Ford on bungeed down. And he's saying, no, I'm holy, holy, holy. Are there any sacred things in your life that you're treating as common? Uh, allow me to give you a couple examples. The church is sacred. This gathering right here, it doesn't belong to us. The gathering of the saints is sacred. Jesus said, this is my church, I will build it. In Acts chapter two, when they came together, they were in awe of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to breaking of bread and to fellowship. And God did signs and wonders. It's a holy thing when the people of God come together. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their what? in their midst. I'm in the center of the camp. But we've taken something sacred and holy like the gathering of God's people and we've thrown it on our religious cart. What does that look like? God, I got an hour and 10 minutes, hour and 15 minutes for you twice a month. That's the national average for committed church attenders. I'll get, get in your grill just a little bit. We slide in after two or three songs, and we're late, ah, whatever, you know, I don't like the loud stuff anyway, and, you know, we kind of thumb through Instagram if the sermon gets slow, and then we bolt for the door while people are giving their lives to Jesus and making an (laughs) eternal decision. We've made something very sacred common. It gets so common that a lot of, quote, Christians only come to church if they don't have a better offer. If they couldn't go camping or if there's not a playoff game on it, church is just this thing I do. It's on my hour and 15 minute cart strapped to the back of my Prius. It's bungee down good and occasionally I just tote it around and go, oh, I'm going to go to church today. We've made something sacred common and we wonder why the fire of God is not upon his house. Now, I, I don't like long services for long services sake. Okay, I think you can get a lot of ministry done in 75 minutes, there's no doubt about it. But what would happen if we return to the sacred practice of spending the night in prayer, waiting on God? Paul was preaching, and at midnight, Eutychus fell out of a window because it was a long sermon. <laughs> Eutychus snaps his neck, and Paul runs down. Instead of wrapping up the sermon, say, hey, see you at Connect tent. Sorry about that one. See you next week. Don't forget to go to your small group. God love you, buy a backpack, see ya. <laughs> he goes down and raises him from the dead and continues to preach all night. The church is sacred, we've made it common. Let me give you another one. Tithing is sacred. The tithe belongs to the Lord, it doesn't belong to you. Now, someone will get offended and that's cool, I just wanna offend you up front so we can go get on with it. We've taken the theology and the principle of tithe, Old and New Testament, it's Bible full of it. And we said, no, I'm gonna rewrite this one. I'm gonna determine how generous I wanna be and how much I need to give. And I'm gonna give when I emotionally feel like giving to the ministries that I wanna give to. You've taken something that doesn't belong to you You've taken the sacred tithe and you strapped it on your cart and made it common, and you can tip God whenever you want and be as generous as you feel like. And you wonder why the provision and the supernatural power of God is not involved in your finances? You got your giving on a cart. Turn the sacred into common. Well, let me give you one more while I'm on this rant. Feels pretty good. (laughs) The preaching of the word is sacred. Because this is not my idea. I'm not up here to give a lecture, or a speech, or a homily. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save the perishing. And we take the preaching of the word, and hey, if I got to get out earlier, I don't want to wait in the parking lot, or, you know, I'm just going to catch a little bit on the stream, and maybe you're catching some of the sermon at home, but hey, the pancakes are ready and the bacon's almost done, so let's pause. Hey, this is sacred. This is the word of God that has the power to change you for all eternity. This is not a talk show. This is not the news. This is the declaring of the gospel of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is a sacred thing that we do. And when you make the sacred common, what is meant to produce life ends up producing death. Have you seen it? It's called dead religion. It's called grinding your way through church, but you just don't get anything out of it anymore. It's because we've made the sacred things common. If that's happened to you, I would say repent. Ask again for the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And we're praying this as leaders over our church that the spirit of the fear of the Lord would be upon us. And we'd once again stand in awe of him and reverence him. Let me give you the last one here. Second way you make the presence of God a priority is let your worship be an appropriate response to the holiness of God. An appropriate response. Let's finish the story. Second Samuel 6. Now David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obadidim and everything he has, because the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obadidim to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps. He sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Just a detail there. The blood sacrifice always comes before the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a type of the cross. And just a detail for some of you theologians and students, some have taught that they did this every six steps and that's not the case. There was one offering here and then they moved on because to stop every six steps for 20 some miles would have taken years. But... So he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf and wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent. David had pitched for it and David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants like any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, hey, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler. over the." You, You see how I'm putting a little marital tension here? I think it's appropriate. I don't think this was a quiet conversation. I think voices were raised. This was an intense moment. And then David made this declaration. He says, I will celebrate before the Lord. Let me just say here that when she accused him of being vulgar, and some have taught that like David was you know, out there dancing in his boxers or his briefs, that wasn't the case. What he did is he took out his outer garment of the king, and the king would always wear an outer robe when he was in public. But underneath, there was a linen ephod. It was like a robe that went down to his knees where the breastplate was on top of. And so he took off his outer garment and he's dancing with all his might. So he might've been showing some pretty serious leg in the moment, but you know, she, she accused him of being vulgar and indecent. Look what he says here. He says, I will become even more undignified than this. And here's a key. I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. Oh, well, time out. Do you know that pride is the biggest deterrent of true worship in your life? Pride is the biggest deterrent of seeing God move in the church. We're so protective of self and opinion and what people think that we don't worship according to psalmic worship that's so clearly stated. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Here's the takeaway. Despising the presence, despising true worship, despising psalmic expressions in the house of God creates spiritual barrenness. To be a barren woman in the Jewish culture was one of the worst curses or conditions that any woman could carry. And when she despised this event of the presence of God coming in, she had no children for the rest of her days. Guys, we have to honor his presence if we're gonna be fruitful. We have to embrace biblical worship if we're gonna be fruitful. I'm gonna have the band come on up and I wanna land with this thought and this question. Let me ask you something, lean in. What is your appropriate response when the Ark of the Covenant comes in? What is your appropriate response when the power and presence of the Holy Spirit washes into our gatherings like, happened, like it happened today in Vacaville and probably at all locations? Are you are you moved in such a way that you get yourself out of the way? Are we honoring God? Or do we have our worship response on a religious cart strapped down tightly? We say, well, you know my personality type, I'm not an extrovert. And, oh, these people lift their hands and I, I'm not comfortable with that. Or, or maybe it's a, a religious upbringing that oh, we don't dance in church. And we don't shout, that's that's so rude. I can't believe, go to the Father's house, all these people are yelling and shouting. Come on. Exactly. So here's my recommendation. We don't respond based on personality type or relig- religious upbringing. We respond to his presence based on what is appropriate. What is appropriate? David danced before the Lord with all of his might. What does that look like? When a rugged warrior begins to dance before God with all of his might, he did it because it was appropriate. When the Ark of the Covenant came into the dedication of Solomon's temple, all the priests fell down, face down, and laid up on the ground. Why? Because it was appropriate. We ask you to lift up holy hands in the sanctuary. We do that because it's appropriate. Let the lifting of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. What is an appropriate response? I guarantee you this. It will cause a moment of humiliation. It will cause you to get yourself out of the way. God wants to take each one of us in in our own way, and he knows what you need. He knows your personality type. He knows your journey. But he wants to take all of us to a place where it's not about us any longer. Church is not about us. Worship is not about us. You know, it's like asking people, hey, how was worship today? Did you enjoy it? I don't know, it wasn't for me. You know, it's for him. Did he enjoy it? Does he enjoy the sacrifice that's being given? Now, the reason that I want you to prioritize the presence of God in your life and worship appropriately is because when the, when the Ark of the Covenant finds its place in your heart, in your home, in your church, it changes everything for the long haul. You see, this day right here that we're reading about, this moment right here, it set something in motion for the next 40 years of David's life. For 40 years, the Ark of the Covenant remained in the Tabernacle of David on Mount Zion. For 40 years, prophecies were released from the tent. Worship was released from the tent. The glory of God was upon the temple of God because he did a couple things. He repented of making the sacred common. He worshiped God appropriately. He humbled himself and gave God what God deserved. And then he became a one thing man. As we pray today, in just a minute, we're gonna bow our heads. The location's can have a ministry time. Let me ask you one more question. What's the one thing that defines you? If someone said, hey, Phil's all about, Charlotte's all about, you know, Steve, he's all about, what's the fill in the blank? What's the one thing? What if there was a church full of people that when they talked about you at work or school, friends and family, they said, oh, they're all about Jesus. They're all about worship. They're all about his house. They're all about loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. I just wonder, and I'm pretty convinced of it, that the sacred would return to the house. That the holiness of God would be seen again, that the Ark of the Covenant would be among us. And once again, we would come into his house and stand in awe of his presence. And in that presence, your enemies are defeated. New ground is taken. Your life is changed. What do you say? We become one thing people and prioritize his presence. Amen. Did you receive this today?